Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Heads Television, brought to you by our friends at Ditchwitch. Bass Heads Television is currently on Wild TV in Canada and the Versus Network, which will run all the way through June of 2008. This is Outdoors Dan. Let me bring in my good friend Aaron Martin, the host of Bass Edge. Aaron, what's going on? Hey, we have a great show lined up. Not only are we talking about vegetation, but uh, we get to hear some of Alton's Bassmaster Classic preparations that's coming up. So it's going to be a great show. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to some salad dressing and some fishing line. <laughs> Anytime you talk vegetation, I'm hungry. There you go. Hey, and James Niggemeyer is going to be talking about thermoclines, why it's important to know what a thermocline is and how that makes fish stage differently. Yeah, it's it's a challenging subject, but uh, he is going to do it justice, I'm sure, uh, in the short amount of time that we're going to be covering that. So it's going to be there some good go. stuff. Yeah, that's in the inside edge. And you know what? All this is right here on the edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Well, it's hard to believe February's here already. And, you know, Aaron, i got to tell you, I'm excited because I know i got to hit the road this week and start doing seminars, and I know you are too. And uh, it's really one of my favorite times of the year because you get to meet a lot of nice people. You know, you do. You get to, this is the time of year when, uh, even though there is still a lot, a lot of uh, great things to be enjoyed in the outdoors, but also we get to uh, see all the new products uh, from boats to fishing lures and, and all the new stuff that's coming out. And, and plus, you know, the Bassmasters Classic, you know, the Super Bowl's over now. So now it's the Super Bowl of fishing that'll be coming up, and that's the Bassmaster Classic. Yeah, I was talking to Shaw Grigsby the other day. He said he was uh, getting ready to go, and I know a couple other people. And you were talking to, what's, uh, what's that gentleman's name? Alton. Alton, yeah, yeah. he's getting ready to pre-fish, right? He is, and it's uh, he's. I think he's going to bring up in his interview of what goes into uh, that practice, not only on the water, but just you know preparing uh, from a mental standpoint, a gear standpoint, all those things that go into that. Because you know, quite honestly, that is the biggest uh, tournament of a lot of these guys' life. And you just got back from a ditch witch event. Yeah, boy, it was a busy week. I went. Uh, I was down in Oklahoma City at the the uh, National Dealers Conference. Got to meet a lot of their dealers from all over the world. Their salesmen uh, met some some great people from Italy and Canada, and uh, it was a good time. And then went straight from there to Indianapolis. So uh, it's nice to be home for a little while before we head out guess, again. I guess it is. Hey, I've had a couple people call the radio show the last couple of weeks and ask about line changes and you know what to do, what not to do, and. I, I, basically, what I told them, and I want you to throw your two cents in here real quick, is um, you know now is a great time to go ahead and reline all your spools, get everything changed over, and you want to make sure that you get new new line on as much as you can. I know a lot of people go two or three times a year replacing line. Yeah, but you might as well go ahead and do it now while you got a little slow time. And I, I'm really try- I've told them that I'm really sold on you know as far as I'm concerned, braided line. If you're going to be doing a lot of stuff through heavy cover. If you're not going to be doing that and you want to catch or see more fish, you know, that uh, fluorocarbon line, it's just hard to beat. Yeah, and, you know, you bring up a good point. Now is the time to go through all that tackle preparation. I think the line is often overlooked. I will even get into uh, the standpoint with, with fluorocarbon to where I'll change out, you know, 
potentially every day prior to a tournament or at least once a week, uh, depending on how many casts that you're actually making with that particular reel. Because, you know, one of the things on fluorocarbon is it has that, that coating on there. And uh, that's that's very important. Fluorocarbon is a great, great line to use because of its transparency. A little bit lower in stretch uh, than the monofilament. Uh, you bring up another good point concerning the braided line. You know, that's something that really this year we learned uh, through pros like Sean Hernke and Dave Wolak about how they employ that even uh, when they're not fishing around vegetation, but use that leader of tying that fluorocarbon leader to it. And I think line is, is definitely the, the thing. It's kind of like sharp hooks, you know. You, you don't want to take anything for granted when it comes to your line. So the No, not at all. Especially that's the only thing you really have between you and the fish. No so question. You want to get that fish in the boat. So there you go. Hey, we need to run a commercial, and when we come back, you guys are going to get to hear from one of the nicest guys in the industry, Mr. Alton Jones. We'll be right back. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and for this week's Angler Spotlight is uh, really an individual that I grew up uh, following a lot and, and have the utmost respect for as an angler and as an individual, and that is Alton Jones. Alton, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Hey, thanks a lot. Now, I didn't realize I was old enough for you to have grown up respecting me. Well, you know, you're just one of those guys that has this... Uh, kind of sense about himself to where I, I think you're kind of the, the angler's angler, so to speak, just because <laughs> well, of the techniques that you employ, you know, so well, well, no, we're not that much, we're not that much difference, but, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you have a resume that has, uh, has a lot of accolades on it. That is for sure. Now I know you've got some kind of an important date coming up, don't you? We do. Well, you know, the Bassmasters Classic is coming up uh, pretty quick and we're in the process right now of getting, getting prepared. Uh, we, uh, the, the tournament is actually February 22nd through the 24th on Lake Hart Hartwell, which is just outside of Greenville, South Carolina. But uh, right now, our mindset is on preparation for that event and for the Elite Series, and it's a, it's a very busy time. You know, we're we're uh, in the process of uh, making sure that uh, our sponsors have everything they need from from Alton Jones to make sure that that I can help them in any way possible at the Classic. And then more than that is tackle preparation, making sure every hook is sharp, maybe making sure that all my uh, reels are properly spooled. Uh, and that every, that all my equipment is in tip top shape as we get ready for this event. You know, and before we Alton, before we transition over into kind of our day on the water together, how how different is classic preparation than preparing for let's just say a, a what we would call a regular season tournament or even just a recreational day on the water? Well, one of the big ways that it is different is that the classic is the showcase event of the year, and so all of my sponsors uh, want to make sure that I have the the, the newest and latest equipment uh, to use and just, you know, to, since I'll be on camera and that sort of thing. So it's not, at the typical tournament, you know, you're just re-spooling lines, sharpening a few hooks, and you're done. But here, you're actually basically changing out your entire arsenal. Uh, it's putting together new rod and reel combos, uh, making sure everything is uh, spit-polished to perfection, and then going through the, the, the ordinary routine of, of doing all those things that we do at every tournament. So, it's it's pretty thorough. You know, I use this as the time of year to completely revamp and reorganize my tackle for the whole year. Uh, by the end of a fishing season, it will be in somewhat disarray. But 
I always like to start with a classic in the beginning of the year with the with everything in its place so that it's easy to find and just stay well organized. Really, really adds to your efficiency on the water. Well, and really, once you hit the water, or you know, with that first event being this, the classic, you know, you're really on the road for quite some time. Yeah, that's right. We don't have a breather. We uh, we have a four or five day break after the classic, and then our first uh, elite series event is down in Florida beginning on the Harris chain, so it's basically time to drive down there and get set up for that event. Uh, so, so really, it's not just preparing for the Classic, it's preparing for the entire season, but this is one of my favorite times of the year, too, because it's something I really in, enjoy doing, um, and I feel like if I can do a better job even in this logistical preparation, it's going to help give me an advantage throughout the season. Well, no question, and you know, a lot of that mental preparation and logistics that, that really take place off the water um, you know, it play a major role in, in your success on the water. Well, it really does. And, you know, I, I don't feel, until I'm prepared at that level, I don't feel like I'm ready to go on the water and begin to really pattern the fish and figure out specifics of baits that I'm going to need to throw at the Bassmasters Classic and the techniques that I'm going to employ and locate the fish that I'm going to use to, to uh, hopefully propel me to a victory in the Classic. Well, you know, I, I know certainly you're, you're going to uh, uh, have your hands full, but it's, I, I think it's something that you embrace as far as that challenge of, of facing the Bassmasters Classic and, and the tremendous amount of fishermen that will be partaking in that. Yeah, you, you do, and you know, I've I, I got to say, the thing that really keeps you going on this is this is the Bassmasters Classic, and that's, a, that's an extreme amount of motivation. I mean, this is the dream that, that I've had ever since I was a child and is, is going riding through that arena and with the dream of someday winning a Classic, and this is my this will be my eleventh classic appearance, and I can tell you that feeling never goes away and it never gets old. Uh, that drive to win the classic, I, I think the more years you fish it without winning it, it actually it actually makes you want to win it that much that much more. Well, and it's often been said too that if that feeling ever does go away, you better do kind of a, a gut level check because then yeah, there's something right. wrong. Sure, I think that's it. you know I've never been to that point. I mean, yeah. To me, it's, this has always been. Uh, you know, one of my greatest passions is bass fishing. And so uh, people ask me, do you ever get burned out? Do you ever get tired of fishing? And, and I really don't understand the question. You know, all I have to do is think for a minute about what are my alternatives or maybe sitting behind a desk somewhere, and I'm not at all burned out about fishing. That's right. Well, you know, and, and we were able to spend some time together uh, really on a new reservoir that, that neither of us had been to, and that was on Choke Canyon. Can you really set the stage for for what Choke Canyon uh, represents and, and kind of the, the topography and, and what anglers could expect if they're venturing down to that lake. Yeah, well, Choke Canyon is one of one of South Texas's finest reservoirs. It's uh, it's completely. There's really three main ones down there. You have Lake Falcon down in far South Texas, then you have Lake Amistad and Choke Canyon. Of those three, Choke has the most vegetation of any of them, and probably has more big bass. I'm talking about fish in the teens than either of the other two, although, although all of those lakes are loaded. So anytime you go to choke, you're always, you've always got that thought in the back of your mind that, hey, the next cast I make could be something that's bigger than it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> those giants grow down there, and, and, and that, that anticipation. I, you know, I loved when you and I were fishing. Every time we'd get a bite, although, although we never really connected with one of those giant bass, when you get a bite, you don't know, is it a two-pounder or is it a 16-pounder? until after you set the hook and went the fish out of the grass. So, I mean, but that's, that's what choke has to offer. You know, you and I were there probably at the toughest time of the year for choke. Canyon. Exactly. Fall when, uh, the fish are real scattered, and a lot of them are out in open water chasing bait 30 feet down and things like that. So it's, even, even the Great Lakes could be a challenge. Oh, no, no question. And, you know, that's one of the things about uh, you think of when you hit fishing as a reality sport, you know, and when you hit the water, you don't ordinarily uh, always rather get to, 
get to hit the water in the most opportune conditions. But really, that's what it comes down to is, is, is the chase, the trying to figure out where the fish are, what they'll respond to. And uh, we got to do a little bit of that that day that we, we spent together on the water. We did. And I, I tell you, one of the things that I enjoyed most about that particular day, Aaron, was the fact that neither you nor I had ever been to Choke Canyon. You know, I've, I've filmed a lot of TV shows before where I was familiar with the water, I was on the fish, and we basically just turned the camera on and started catching them. Whereas, whereas in this film, we really got to film the exercise of finding fish and, and the thought processes that we went through uh, and the decisions we were making when, when things didn't work and then all of a sudden it would work and we'd put together pieces of the puzzle. You know, by the end of the day, we had a solid pattern going and it, it was a lot of fun. And that, that really, I think it kind of epitomizes what the typical practice is for a tournament. You know, people wonder, well, what's your thought process uh, when you're practicing for the Bassmasters Classic? Well, hey watch Bass Ed's next week, and, and you're going to see exactly the type of decisions uh, that we have to make uh, when we're fishing new water. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, you and I had the, the conversation of what should the fish be doing, you know, and, and going to a new body of water, that certainly threw an, another element of surprise into it. But, you know, I can remember as we were idling out of the buoys that morning, you know, we just basically said, hey, we're going to we're gonna put the trolling motor down. We had multiple rods laying on the front deck. We tried some top water, but really got things going once you had established, you know, that those fish were holding really on that, that outside edge of that grass line. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how do you break down, let's say, a grass line when you see all the tremendous amount of vegetation that's, whether it be at Choke Canyon or any body of reservoir or body of water for that matter, you know, how do you, where do you start? What's the starting point? Well, that, that's, uh, I, th- I think that's a great question you bring up, but what I'm always looking for is a, a change along that grass line, something something different. Really, a grass line is, is the way I like to think of it, it is an underwater superhighway. The bass will travel those grass lines. Now, somewhere it places along those weed lines, there's going to be what I call the kitchen, those little sweet spots where fish will gang up. And um, they're, they're typically going to be in places where there's, there's an intersection at some point. In other words, that pathway that the grass, the grass line is, there will be places where it intersects other pathways, such as a little creek channel or uh, a point or other types of underwater features. And uh, those are the types of places I'm looking for. Uh, you know, on Choke Canyon, there's literally there's 100 miles of weed line, yet you're, we're looking for little bitty specific places within those weeds that have the potential to really hold the mother load of bass. And, and so that's the key is you can't just go out and just say, okay, I'm going to fish grass. Uh, You've got to have a little bit more developed game plan within that. And then let the fish kind of tell you by the bites that you're getting or not getting throughout the day what changes you need to make and tweaks you need to do to do that. You know, I remember one thing. We had to, we ended up, by the end of the day, actually scaling down our, our lure. And the most productive bait we ended up having was, I think, that big show crawl. When we went down to a little bit smaller profile bait, we found that that was better at triggering the strikes once we got into that productive water. So there's so many pieces to the puzzle. And I think that's why bass fishing is so much fun. That's what I enjoy. It's never the same twice. Right. And, you know, the other thing, going back to a point that you made just a little bit earlier, as far as those defined edges, but really you called a couple shots along the way as we were working a grass line. There were some indentations and almost like some points, if you would Mm -hmm. think of topography like land. Well, the grass does the exact same thing, and those ended up being, you know, a very productive area on on those uh, topography changes within the grass itself. Yeah, that's right, and whenever you find a school of fish, there's always a reason why those fish are down there. Just like you said, it's those changes in the topography along the, that grass line that was key. And so anytime I catch a fish, sometimes from, from the surface and visibly it may look random, but it's not. There's something under the water, and if you can learn to use your electronics and, and, uh, and, and, and 
use all your senses around you to, to figure out, okay, why, why did I get that bite right there or those three bites right there? That's going to help you develop that pattern and expand it to other places and duplicate what you're doing. You know, that's what bass fishing is if you're going to be successful. It's being able to, to take that information and then duplicate it in different places around the lake. That's how you succeed. Well, and the other thing was, you know, given just the, the conditions that we were faced with, you know, the bites were, were not coming, obviously, back-to-back, but we did have several good bites, and concentration was a critical factor throughout the course of that day because you never knew when that bite was going to happen. Right, and I, I think on, on days when you're not getting, you know, 100 bites in a day, when you're, when, you know, when, you're, when you're going sometimes an hour or two between strikes, that it's real easy to let your guard down, and then when you do finally get that bite, you're not ready and you miss the fish. On those tougher days like you and I fished, it's more important to be mentally alert because every bite counts for more. And so, you know, my rule of thumb, an exercise I put myself through is try to make myself mentally ready for a bite on every cast. If I'm not prepared for a striker, if I don't believe I'm going to get a strike on that cast, why bother to make the throw? Well, and, and here's the other, the, the other tip that I, I really got a lot out of, and, and it produced instant dividends. I don't know if you remember this. We pulled back into this little pocket, and you said, you know what, let me share a tip with you just real quick. And allowing, instead of allowing that bait to fall and basically free spool and the bait itself to pull the line off of the reel, you know, one of the, the things that you employ a lot of times when fishing grass is actually taking your hand and feeding that line. Can you talk a little bit about why that makes such a difference? Sure, yeah. Letting your bait fall on a slack line is always critical when fishing soft plastics, not just weed lines. Um, that's just another application for it. What it does, when you make a pitch, if your line is tight when your bait hits the water and your bait's falling, it's actually penduluming back towards you on that tight line. So, so by the time your bait hits the bottom, it's not going to be near the weed line where you threw it anymore, it's going to swing back out toward the boat. If you'll let it fall on a slack line, it's going to help that bait fall on more of a straight line, so it's going to fall right by the target where you initially pitched it. And that's really one of, one of the big keys, is just being able to keep your bait in close proximity to those targets on the entire fall. Because, you know, at least 70% of the bites when you're fishing soft plastics occur on the fall. So keeping it in the strike zone while it's going to the bottom, it's a paramount importance. And what about as far as, you know, when you make that pitch, do you, are you normally just letting it hit the bottom and then reeling it back up, or are there times to where you'll make that pitch, let it hit the bottom, and then bring it up at all? Yeah, you know, that's one of those things that you have to let the fish tell you as you go through the day. Sometimes the fish are right on the bottom, and so the only place that I'm really interested in working that lure once it gets down there is right on the bottom. But on those deep weed lakes like we had, sometimes the fish will be suspended. You know, I think the weeds we were fishing were anywhere from 12 to 17 feet deep. And I find a lot of times those fish won't be on the bottom. They're going to be over that 17-foot weed line suspended five feet down. And so if you can ever determine that depth zone, you can again refine. There, there are days that you don't have to let it go all the way to the bottom. If all the fish are in the top five feet, you throw in, you let it go down five feet, and you shake it right there. But most of the time, I'm going to, I'm going to say at least 80% of the time, the bottom is really really the key place. And you, I like to throw it in there and let it sit for a minute. If there was a fish close by that maybe heard it come down or felt it come down, give him a chance to swim over there and get his eyes fixed on that lure, and then maybe just lift it just very gently, just maybe an inch or two off the bottom and shake it a little bit and let it sit still again. And a lot of times, if you don't get the bite on the fall, those little subtle movements while it's down there on the bottom will trigger a strike. My typical cast, I, I think... Once the bait gets to the bottom, I'm usually not leaving it down there for more than 15 or 20 seconds, and if I don't get the strike, I'm going to reel it back in and pitch it to another location. You know, in, in your closing thoughts here, for anglers who basically are, are having 
to deal with the same conditions and the, and the same situations of facing a new body of water, perhaps in which they're not familiar with. Any thoughts there on how to expedite their learning curve for when they do hit the water uh, on places to start? Well, yeah, I, I think the key there is to fish smart. And what I'm saying is don't spend your time fishing just old straight weed lines or shorelines. Fish the points. Fish those irregularities that we talked about. Any place where the weeds make a point or where a little deep water ditch or creek channel happens to intersect or come close or, or go through those weeds, and really concentrate on those high percentage areas, and it'll shorten your search. Well, uh, certainly, Alton, that's, that's a wealth of information, and I appreciate your time. And for our listeners' benefit, uh, if they'd like to get in touch with you, certainly send us a, an email at prostaff at bassedge.com, and we'll get those forwarded to you, Alton, so that you can uh, respond accordingly. Well, thanks very much. And, hey, I'm looking forward to fishing with you again next time you'll have me back. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure, and we certainly wish you the best of luck in the upcoming Classic. Go down there, and uh, we hope you do very, very well. Thanks, and God bless everybody. Take care. You know, Aaron, i got to tell you, I know some of my frustrations on the water when I go out is, is heavy cover. It can be a blessing because you know that's holding fish, but it can aggravate the, just aggravate you to death. It does, and, you know, grass is, I think, one of those things, if, if you haven't grown up around it, it can be extremely intimidating. And I thought Alton did a good job of pointing out not only at the TV show, but also at um, during the interview of, you know, when we hit the water, uh, we just basically went looking for areas of, of high percentage areas, and that grass will ob- obviously grow uh, according to the topography of the lay of the land, and therefore it will have you know points and indentions and, and things of which those fish would key on even if the grass wasn't there. So you know by applying that and picking up those flipping sticks, uh, we were able to to put something together. Yeah, it's amazing what grass or uh, a weed bed will hold. I mean, there's going to be holes all over there throughout there. And, you know, bait fish are going to be holding there. And where you find bait fish, you find your fish. Exactly. And, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, no bones about it. He, he didn't have a problem. I mean, those bites were few and far between. But one of the things that I thought that he did a very good job, he said, you know, when you're going 30 to 45 minutes in between bites, when you're not getting those 100 bite per day, type days on the water, you know, that mental concentration and that focus of just, because it's very routine, you know, you're basically, you're pitching that bait along the edge or in that hole or around that, that indention in the grass, you drop it down, maybe pick it up a little bit, you reel it up and you go to the next one, you know, and it's thousands of casts in repetition that you're doing this. And a lot of times it's when you least expect that if you drop your guard down at all, you know, that's chances are you're, you're going to miss that fish, which is ultimately could have a significant impact on your day. Absolutely. Hey, folks, if you're fishing in heavy cover, too, I'm going to just give you a tip real quick. And, you know, Aaron, you know, really, you should be given the tip. I'm maybe <laughs> a bow hunter. But, um, you know, you really want to make sure that that hook is, is covered up so you're as weedless as possible. No question. You know, and that is one of the things that, you know, he brought up a good point as far as versus when you flip that in. Of course, we had our sinkers pegged down tight against our the bodies of the bait against that hook. Um, but if you don't have that hook inside of that bait protected, it's going to catch on, uh, you know, whatever vegetation or wood that you happen to be around ultimately does two things. It, it's not going to allow your bait to perform correctly. But then secondly, it's going to dull the hook, which if you think about it, you know, a lot of times those fish are hitting that on the fall. So you, you're actually, you don't have a real, you're not able to turn that fish and you need that hook to be as sharp as possible. Plus you don't want to change the, the action of that bait because the action of that bait is what you're depending on to uh, entice those strikes. So very yeah. good point. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people, I bet you, uh, I know that it took me a while when you're fishing a lot of heavy cover, um, a lot of rock, uh, jetty, uh, whatever vegetation like that, that's going to have drift in it. 
you know, how many times do people take the time to take that bait and just resharpen those points, you know, after about every 10, 15 casts? Exactly. Yeah, that's, that is, uh, I think when, when you're in the midst of it, you know, and especially if the fish are biting, little things like that, that you, that you will go the extra mile, well, you'll just be so surprised at how many more fish that you'll actually put in the boat because a lot of times you'll lose a fish and you don't know why. And mm-hmm. the first thing I'm thinking, okay, you got to go back and recreate that situation in your mind. Look at what you did right, but also look at what maybe where there was margin of error. And that if you can learn from those mistakes, such as making sure that those hooks are sharp, making sure your line doesn't have any frays in it, checking that line constantly, um, you know, looking at that bait, looking at all the factors that go into that, you know, it's just it's going to help you help you have a better day. Yeah. And, you know, the mindset that he's talking about, already thinking about pre-fishing the classic, you know, you really have to get yourself set for that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's one of the things I liked his point where he said, you know, a lot of this preparation by him going through because of coming off of a season, you know, your tackle and everything is kind of disorganized. So he uses the off season to get all that back in place. And that's really the start of his tournament season. It's not when he hits the water, but it's going through getting everything organized. You know, and the other thing that's a little intimidating is obviously with the classic, because that is such a large event for the sponsors. They want to make sure that they have in your hands, all the latest gear and the products that they're going to be introducing uh, for the upcoming 08 season. With that being the case, you know, just think about it. If you have new reels and new line or new baits or things like that, that, you know, they're depending on you to use, that throws a little bit of a psychological factor into uh, your day because these are probably things that you haven't spent a tremendous amount of time with throughout the course of the year. Um, so you want to make sure that everything is right. Uh, the equipment is going to be working as, as best as what it can so that uh, it'll help you ultimately hopefully go on to win the classic. You betcha. Well, and you're, you know, I'll tell you why. Every flipping stick I've ever tried to use, each one has a totally different field in the next. No question. And, you know, that's such a finesse presentation. you really got to be comfortable with that gear. Right. And just think about it. I mean, you know, you're essentially there with, with uh, the top guys uh, in the nation, you know, so you stumble one time, and, I mean, somebody else is going to be there to uh, – to blow right past you so yeah there you go hey good segment folks we need to take another break when we come back we're going to take you in the inside edge you've got the truck you've got the toys now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both it's the tow and stow receiver hitch by b&w you want options select the ball size adjust the height to level the trailer or stow it out of the way in just seconds it's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us today to talk about Thermocline is our resident pro staffer, James Nigemeyer. James, thanks so much uh, for being back on The Edge. Thank you for having me. It's always good to be on The Edge. It, it is, and today we're going to tackle something that uh, I'm not too sure that we can really wrap our arms around in, in one uh, short session, but we're going to do our best, James, and that is Thermocline. You know, can you maybe start out by explaining you know, how that impacts a, a fisherman's day, or if it does at all? Well, it, really, the Thermocline is you can use it to your benefit. I mean, if you're fishing shallow and you have a group of fish, that's fine. You know, stay with those shallow fish. But if you're out deep, this gives you a reference point. When you locate that thermocline in, in, a, re, in a reservoir where the lake's probably not mixing as well as, as the lake levels 
aren't stratif- they're beginning to stratify, and, and basically you have a, a top and a bottom and then a middle portion, which is that thermocline. And these fish, basically, this is the more oxygen-rich level, and uh, the bait fish are going to be there, and that's where the bass are going to be as well, or the, any predatory fish. Those are all going to be grouped up in that area. You're, you're basically increasing your number of fish that you're going to show your lure to when you're fishing in that zone. And so it, it just it basically you know, it gives you higher percentages and a better chance for success. And, you know, James, what we're talking about when we say thermocline, it's, it's just basically where that, the, the weight, I guess, if you will, because it has to do with, uh, obviously, the, the oxygen that is present in parts per million, I think, is the t- scientific example. But as far as the oxygen content found in that part of the water, is that correct? Yes, it's, it's probably your most oxygen-rich. And um, when, the water hep- when the water gets really warm during the summer is when this starts to, starts to take place. You have a, an oxygen-depleted portion, which is at the bottom, and then you have a one that's not so oxygen rich, which is the top, which is a, I believe is a hypolimnion, and then that middle portion, that being the thermocline, is just an oxygen rich environment, which bait fish and predatory fish and the whole food chain is just kicked into high gear with whether it's plankton or things that the both both fish are feeding on. It's it's a place that that the whole life cycle is really kicked into high gear. And, and really, you know, it comes to from the standpoint the reason that that all of these things are present, meaning the bait fish and the plankton. And, and the bass, obviously, of which we would be targeting, is from a standpoint of comfort. Uh, comfort and food. Yeah, yeah it, it just basically meets all the, all the different criteria. You know, they they, they got to catch their food every day, so they want to be around it. They don't want to get too far away from it, so that's a place they want to hang out. Now, do you find that all bass and, and all the bait fish and, and the life cycle, like you spoke of, do all of those pay attention to the thermocline? And do you find these present, you know, in every single body of water that you go to? No, you know, rivers, those waters are continually mixing. And so you don't have that stratification where you have um, water that, that's oxygen depleted. And, and so there's, there's different reservoirs or different waters that you, you may go to where the thermocline or populations or resident fish might not really be affected by it. You know, you may, you may be on a large reservoir in the back of one of the major tributaries in the back of the creek and, and find a lily pad field and find a, a great bunch of fish that are just kind of residential. They'll be there all through the summer and probably into the fall. And uh, those fish really don't, really don't have anything to do with the, the thermocline. They're, they're probably feeding on brim and, and crawdads and whatever lives back there. And um, there probably may not be as many, but uh, those fish won't be won't be as as affected by the thermocline or what what else is going on outside. And as far as they're concerned, that's their world. And so you can find fish that aren't going to be relating to it. But at the same time, you're going to definitely find larger groups of fish that are related to the thermocline in adjacent to any structure like a point. And, and is that that's when you basically you're running, let's say, a, a main lake pattern. You know where potentially you're focusing on points or brush piles or you know, utilizing that drop shot, um, that's really where the thermocline then becomes into play um, concerning your fishing day. Oh, I, absolutely. Your humps, your shoals, your rock points, your drop-offs, and those types of things. And even, even if you're fishing bridges and fish are suspended under a bridge, that thermocline will help you, help you realize well, how far do you want to bring your bait down. Say it's 50 feet of water and thermocline's at about 25 and that's the zone you want to be at. That, that's just helping you eliminate water. It's going to show you where you want to place your bait, your lure. And then really the turnover, you know, also has to do with, with this thermocline as far as this oxygen that, you know, gets stratified, I guess, and, and the, the bottom comes to the top and, and vice versa. 
That's right. And then and everything starts to mix. And which typically the turnovers you have a lot of a lot of negative connotations associated with that term, but but uh the fish can still be caught and um typically I like to go shallow that time of year. Um you have a lot of bait fish moving shallow and the water's basically uniform from top to bottom. And it takes a while. There's a little bit of a, a of a brief period there where where the fishing is affected. But after a while, they'll get they'll get to where they're they're doing their normal thing and you can go back out and catch them the way you did before. And in our last closing minute, James, you know how what what is your feeling on the thermocline? How much does that play into um, your day as you compete or as you recreational fish? I mean, how much do we need to be paying attention to what the thermocline is and what it's doing? It doesn't dictate everything that I do. It's it's a part a piece of the puzzle that you utilize to to help you weather you know typically it's in the summer and so the rest of the year you may not you may not even be thinking about the thermocline but in that summertime that's another piece of the puzzle that helps uh, other times it it may not be something that I even I even think about so it it can be a real important piece in in its in its perspective season and and that's important uh, when you're fishing in the summertime. Well, I mean, James, I mean, certainly we've only just begun to touch on it, and I know we'll be talking about this in the future, but uh, we are out of time. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I'd just love to hear from the listeners, get any feedback, any questions. Uh, go to prostaff at bathedge.com. All right. Well, James, uh, there you have it, and really appreciate you taking your time uh, to talk about Thermocline. We'll look forward to the upcoming weeks. I know you're going to be back on. Thank you for having me on Bath Edge, Aaron. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Good inside edge, you know, thermocline. I, I, I can just remember when I used to do a lot of diving. Man, you get down to that three, you know, every three to four feet, you get that different change in that temperature. Boy, you can really feel it. Yeah, you know, and, and really, I thought he did it. Really, did the topic justice, even in the short amount of time that we had to cover it. You know, by by breaking it out, that you don't have to go over the top on the science. You know, a lot of times, if you're in current or a river, the thermocline isn't even doesn't even come into play because the water's constantly moving. Or if you're on a shallow pattern, you know, there's always going to be fish, uh, probably holding in the shallows. And even though there may not be as many, really the, that thermocline doesn't come into play unless, you know, you're fishing out offshore or looking for grouped up fish. And, and I thought he did a good job of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I tell you what, man, it's neat to see them stage right on them lines because you go three or three or four inches either way. you got a temperature variant. You know, it is. And you could see that actually on your graph. You yeah. Know, you can see that thermocline. And then you can also see where the bait fish and then obviously the bass are positioning in relation to where that thermocline is. So uh, just just a lot of a lot of interesting information on how kind of the wildlife and, and nature relates to, you know, things that's going on. Absolutely. Hey, folks, we want to ask you, have you signed up for the newsletter yet? Aaron, have you signed up? I have. I saw, yeah. Yep. How'd you do that? I uh, went to BassEdge.com, and at the top bar on the main page, goes in there, and uh, to create an ID, it'll last for your username. If you don't have one, to the right of that is just a little uh, hyperlink to steal one of your terms that you can click on. Yeah. Uh, 
plug in your email address, and you are ready to go. Yeah. Hey, and don't even try to get fine hair one. That's Aaron. <laughs> so, I mean, don't even, that username has been taken yeah. for a long time. Yours you know? is do-rag, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mine's just called, I still have hair, but it's gray. Yeah. Uh, uh, there you <laughs> go. At least my hair's there. Exactly, exactly. You know, but, hey, folks, honestly, if you want to get a hold of anybody at Bass Edge, you got a couple of different options. You can go to prostaff at BassEdge.com or just go to BassEdge.com. And you can get uh, send in email questions. We still want to hear from you. I mean, honestly, that's what it's all about. It's communication from everyone here at the show with you all, and uh, it's just it's we want to be in contact with you at all times. Absolutely, and we've I want to say thanks to all those who have been sending in. Uh, we will uh, reply to every single one of them. So thanks to to all the great comments and questions that we've been receiving thus far. Yeah, and the newsletter has been getting a lot of great response. If you've not signed up, like Aaron said, just go to BassEdge.com and. Get yourself on there, and I promise you, you'll be really happy that you did. And next week on Bass Says TV, John Sappington shows us how to do some cranking on Lake of the Ozarks. That should be a great show. It is going to be a great show. You know, John Hales, he's the FLW angler, runs the M&M boats, and uh, not only is it, a, is it a great learning experience, the guy is a nut, and we had just a great time in, in Lake of the Ozarks. Certainly, I like that lake, so. Absolutely. Good fishery. Well, Aaron, we're out of time. I'm glad to spend some time with you today. Thank you for all your help. Likewise. Yeah, I will see you soon. And uh, I'm I'm really excited that uh, you get to buy me dinner here in a couple yeah, of Yeah, I know that. Well, I'll have to report back, you know, no uh, $150 bottle of wine or anything like that. So well, <laughs> Yeah. I'll, I'll treat I'll you through the drive-thru. <laughs> I know so, how you are. Hey, uh, folks, that's going to wrap it up. This is Outdoors Dan. He is the man, Aaron Martin. We'll see you next time right here on The X. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, V&W Trailer Hitches, MegaWare Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.